Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts set our hearts and minds on fire for you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Jesus loved a parable. In the four Gospels, there are nearly 40 parables attributed to Jesus. That's one-third of his recorded teaching. And I don't know about you, but I think that's a bit unfair of Jesus, because parables are complicated. Parables are not children's stories, nor are they nothing. They are not fables or riddles. They are not statements about the obvious. They are well-designed, strategic strikes on our senses. You might have heard the old saying that religion is meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Well, that's what parables do. They are meant to provoke and disturb and indict. So if we hear a parable and we think, I really love that story, or you feel good at hearing it told, or fa fail to hear any challenge in it whatsoever, you didn't hear it the way Jesus meant it to be heard. You see, parables over time have become tame and boring. They've lost their first century Jewish meaning and become a bit too feel good. For the audience of Jesus, they knew that parables were anything but feel good. Now, Jesus spoke in parables a lot, but perhaps the most famous, the most well-known, is the Good Samaritan. So dominant in our culture, we have Good Samaritan hospitals, Good Samaritan laws. It's often the first story we learn in our childhood and it receives a place of promise, or prominence in our windows up there in the center, in that one window. A lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you are a lawyer. Tell me what the law says. And the lawyer responds that you shall love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, great, do that, you'll be fine. But you know lawyers. There are a handful of you here today. Lawyers want to be super, super clear about the definition of the law. And this lawyer wanted to be clear about the definition of neighbor. And so he says, fine, Jesus, but who exactly is my neighbor? And it's at this point Jesus tosses a parable into the conversation and everyone around him probably groans. Jesus tells this story of a man traveling down a dangerous road when he's attacked by bandits who rob him, beat him, strip him, and leave him lying in a ditch, half dead. And then along comes a priest. The priest sees the man, walks on by on the other side. But shortly after a Levite, he also sees the man, and he also walks on by. Now, we don't know why the priest and the Levite walked on. Jesus doesn't tell us why these two men didn't stop. Martin Luther King Jr. wondered if their lack of action was because they were too afraid. This was a dangerous road. A man has just been attacked. Perhaps the bandits are still present. And so King, in his imagination, wonders if they ask themselves, well, if I stop, what will happen to me? But it doesn't really matter because Jesus didn't tell us why those men kept going. But then Jesus continues and he tells us that a third person comes by. He sees the man. And he is so moved, as the Greek translation tells us, with a visceral reaction in his gut to care for this wounded stranger. It's that type of love or compassion that doesn't require thought. It bypasses our intellect, moves us directly to action. 
New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine tells us that in the literary patterns of the day, there was something known as the rule of three. If you say two words, you should know what the third word will be. We have it in our society, so I'm going to try it out on you to see if that truly works. I'm going to say two words, and then I want you to shout out, if you know it, the third word. And there's only one you absolutely should not get wrong in church. Are you ready? Harry, Ron, Hermione, Curly, Larry, Alvin, Simon, Caspar, Melchior, some Presbyterians know their stuff over there. <laughs> Father, Son, the choir, you are Team Holy Ghost, great. So this is exactly how a parable would have worked in first century Jerusalem. For that first century Jewish audience, they knew that a, the Jewish people fell into three different groups. Priests, those who were descended from Aaron, Levites, who were descended from Levi, that's the son of Jacob, and everyone else was called an Israelite. So after Jesus invokes the priest and the Levite, we should expect the third person to be an Israelite. But parables are anything but predictable. So the third person was a Samaritan, and a Samaritan was the enemy. The Jewish people and the Samaritans had been rivals for centuries, each thinking they were better than the other. Sometimes they went to war. They fought over their faith. The Samaritans called the Jewish people dogs, and they called the Samaritans half-breeds. The Samaritans stole land, and they wiped out their ancestors. These two groups hated each other. So to disrupt the rule of three with a Samaritan would have been alarming and disturbing. It would have been like going from Harry to Ron to Voldemort, or father-son to Satan. So hated was this group of people that when Jesus finishes the parable, he asks the lawyer, you just heard it, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the wounded man? And the lawyer couldn't even stomach to say the word Samaritan. Instead, he says, the one who showed mercy. Now, I get that for many of us, we were taught that in this parable, we are the Samaritan. Jesus is telling us to be good, kind, and charitable people. And Jesus does spend a fair bit of time in the gospel telling us to be just that. But that's not who we are in this parable. We are the person in the ditch. And it is our enemies who are our hope for survival. And in that case, the parable really works, doesn't it? Because it provokes and it disturbs. Imagine it, who are your enemies really? Truly, that political party, that government leader, that church with the differing beliefs, that tyrant marching across Eastern Europe, those family members who hold different values to you, who are your enemies? And we might think that with our enemy coming down the road, we would rather die than acknowledge that someone from that group could help us. And so this parable raises two disturbing, startling, uncomfortable questions. First, is there any goodness in our enemies? According to Jesus, yes. Even the Samaritan even our enemy is capable of being good. 
And that, in turn, raises a second question, a more difficult question. If they are capable of being good, can we also acknowledge that the face of our enemy is in the likeness and image of our God? If we don't, if we can't do that, we risk dying in the ditch. Who is my neighbor? The lawyer asks. Who must I love as I love myself? Our enemy. Do this, Jesus says. Do this. Love your enemy, and you will live. Our enemy. Our enemy. 